Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. We were hopeless, powerless, empty, broken, desperate for something to save us, desperate for something new because our broken ways from the past were killing us. We were wrong. What we thought could save us didn't. It couldn't. It was powerless to set us free. There was a time when God's people were desperate for a conquering king, and instead they received a suffering savior. Not seated on a throne, but hanging from a cross. And from there, he brought us new life. And not just that, but a new way of living, new eyes and new smiles and new rules. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Yeah, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. God save us. Hey, um, if you're joining us for the first time today, or maybe one of your first times, um, my name is Billy, and I have the privilege of serving here at Church of the Nazarene as the pastor of discipleship. So maybe you've seen me, uh, maybe not, but I want to introduce myself. Uh, the gentleman that was up here, that was Pastor Adrian, um, and, and he's our lead pastor. And so we're going to continue today in a series uh, that we began last week, and it's going to take us through the month of April. So if you missed last week, if you missed the first part, I do encourage you at some point, go back and listen, go back, watch it this week, uh, catch up to where we're at um, today, and then uh, certainly join us and bring someone with you as we come back to celebrate resurrection on Easter Sunday next week. And so, so we're in this series, um, and it's titled All Things New. All Things New. And this series is based on the idea that we desperately need new in our lives. Amen? Amen? We desperately need new in our lives, not just in light of uh, the last two years of our lives, not just in light of what we've experienced uh, around the world um, and in our country and in our personal lives. We just desperately need new in our lives, and it is available to us, but it was made available, and we're going to look at this today and, and in the weeks ahead, it was made available to us in ways that seem odd, through literal new life, through the suffering, the death, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this man named Jesus that our scriptures tell us about, and so we're going to talk about resurrection next week. We're going to celebrate resurrection next week. Does that sound like a good plan? But for just a few moments, I want to talk about the strange uh, new rules, the, this strange new kingdom that was ushered in as part of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish and ultimately rule. 
And you see, the funny thing is, and, and I don't know if this is true for you, it, uh, it's true for me. Jesus surprises us when we really get to know him. When we dig into his word, when we begin uh, to allow his word uh, to dig into us, he surprises us. And we're going to look at the story of Palm Sunday today. That's where we find ourselves in the Christian calendar year. We're celebrating Palm Sunday with the church universal around the world. This isn't just about Church of the Nazarene um, here on the corner of Boyers and Port. We're celebrating this as the church universal. And so we're going to look at the triumphal entry in Matthew 21. That's where we're going to find ourselves. But before we get there, we're going to see that the triumphal entry, the people thought they were welcoming a mighty warrior king, but instead they were ushering in the suffering Savior to death on a cross. It's ironic, isn't it? The king, our king, um, if you're in Jesus, Jesus is your king. And so the king um, that we serve ruled from a cross and ultimately through resurrection, which is really unthinkable, unimaginable, and unforgettable. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Let's not rush to Easter quite yet. Let's not rush to Easter quite yet. And so so we're going to look at two stories, and I'm going to briefly go through them before we get to Matthew 21. That's going to be our main text, Jesus uh, riding into Jerusalem, and we're going to unpack that uh, and, and that story um, today. But before that, I want to rewind a few verses into chapter 20 of Matthew, because the way we see uh, the two stories that take place before this story is going to affect the way that we see this story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. You see, that's the beauty of the word of God. It's not just a bunch of random uh, things happening and occurrences. Well, Jesus went here and then he went there and he said this. And, and someone just decided, well, we'll just write all these down and throw them together. There's, it's cohesive. It's telling us something. And so we got to look back. And so uh, I want to look back um, first, uh, all the way back to Matthew 20 and verse 17. And it says Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, right? So he's going to Jerusalem. He knows what he's about to suffer. And his closest 12 friends are with him. And he says to them, "Uh, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're going to condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And we're like, these guys should have got it. Jesus tells them in black and white, yet this is about to happen, but I want you to see what happens next. In the very next verse, there's no break. There's no, uh, uh, well, the disciples wrestled with what Jesus was saying. Uh, Verse 20 says this, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, uh, which if we look at the text closely, James and John were two of Jesus' uh, closest disciples. It says, then the mother um, of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus and kneeling down to him, asked a favor of him. And this is Jesus' response there. He says, what is it you want? What do, you, what do you want me to do for you? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? He says, uh, can you drink? I literally just talked about the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink. Do you think you can drink that cup? And the boys say, we can. I don't think they saw what was going on. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at the right hand and left is not for any to grant. And and he continues on, and the other 10 disciples are furious. They're like the audacity of these guys to think that they deserve the best seats at the table. Who are they to think they deserve the best seats? So these guys don't get it. And Jesus calls them together in in Matthew 20 and verse 25, and he says, says, listen, (laughs) 
Listen, Jesus, and we see this through his whole life, but Jesus is flipping the script and reminding his closest friends, even after he's just told them, even after he's just told them what's going to happen, where they're headed, what's ahead, even after he's just told them, he's, he's got to remind them again that his kingdom has new rules. His kingdom doesn't look like the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms of the Gentiles and the Romans. They're wanting the best seat at the table. They're wanting the prestige. And he says, listen, listen, gentlemen, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must become your servant. That's, that's a new rule. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. How's that sound? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They're on Jerusalem. They're getting ready to enter into the city, to, and, and Jesus is getting ready to embrace this suffering And these are some of the last words before they enter in Jerusalem that he's sharing with his followers. He's saying, listen, guys, my kingdom doesn't work the way that earthly kingdoms work. You see, James and John, Jesus' disciples, their physical eyes worked fine. They saw Jesus do miracle after miracle. They heard his teachings, but the eyes of their heart, their spiritual eyes were visually impaired. But then immediately, look what happens immediately next. So he says this to them. They're not seeming to get it, right? They can physically see all Jesus is doing, but something in their heart is blinded. And then the next verse says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him and two blind men. So we had two men here that were his disciples. Now we have two blind men that are sitting alongside of the road. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them. The crowd told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called to them. What did he ask the mother of James and John? He looks at these two men and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Lord, we want to see And Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes immediately. They received their sight and they followed him. Two men walking closely with Jesus. Their physical eyes worked fine, but the eyes of their heart were spiritually blinded. They were vision impaired in their heart. And immediately the next story is two men who physically can see nothing Yet the eyes of their heart are clear. They know that this is the Lord. And so he repairs their physical sight and they follow him. And now they can see physically. So what what does that have to do with Palm Sunday? Because literally as they follow him, the next verse is Matthew 21, uh, verse 1 that says, as they approach Jerusalem, and and we're going to get to this, um, we're going to get to this in just two seconds. But what does this have to do with Palm Sunday? That's a wonderful question. It's a wonderful question that you would ask that this morning. So what if I told you today that most of us, I believe, have been looking at this story the wrong way? What if I told you that we've become so accustomed to what we understand as Palm Sunday on our way to Easter Sunday that we've missed something important 
that is happening that should challenge us in the story of Palm Sunday. Perhaps something new that God wants you and I to see uh, this year and in the days ahead. And some of y'all are like, no, I don't think so. Others of you are, are like, great, he is about to mess up one of my favorite stories of Jesus. He is about to mess up my childhood memories. Sunday school is about to be thrown out the window. He can't do that. And then some of y'all are genuinely curious. You're like, what? No, no, no. And we've read this story before. We get it. But I'm going to ask you to look at it with fresh eyes. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, and we're going to be beginning uh, reading in verse 1. And it says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Verse 3, If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter, and so he's quoting, he's quoting the prophecy, and we're going to look at it a little closer here in a minute. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the fowl of a donkey, however you want to say it. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Listen, this isn't happening sporadically, okay? They know Jesus is coming to town. There are crowds following him, and, and they're, they're spreading their cloaks on the road. And this is reminiscent of a story from 2 Kings 9 when King Jehu was crowned king. And it says the exact same thing. The people spread their cloaks for King Jehu's donkey to walk over. And so while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the roads, right, the palm branches, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It seems like they get it, right? It seems like they see what's happening. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It's like they get it, but they don't get it. Have you ever been there? It's like they get it, but they really don't get it. I feel like, I feel like that is me in conversations with my wife. Men do not amen me on that. It's like I get it, but I don't really get it. When Jesus, it says in verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this guy? What is going on? And it says the crowds answered. And there would have been large crowds, uh, uh, close to millions there for this is Passover. And so people all over the land have made their way up to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast of Passover. And so there are large, large crowds of people there. And some of them uh, may have heard of Jesus. Some of them have no idea who this dude is about to ride in on a donkey and coming into town on a donkey, um, being praised as a king. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And you see, 
Verse 5 is ultimately the fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah 9 and verse 9 through 12 where Zechariah declared this is what the king of Israel uh, would come like. He says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Now, this is Zechariah 9 that I'm reading. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious and lowly. You know what that word lowly means in Hebrew? Poor and needy humble, weak, and afflicted. Comes to you lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. And you listen, we don't expect, we don't expect the sequence of those words to describe a king, right? Righteous and victorious and low and afflicted. That doesn't describe the kings of the culture in which we live in. We expect the first two, but the third takes us by surprise. The third word throws us off a bit. But this plainly, this picture of Jesus, and bear with me here. Bear with me here on this Palm Sunday. This picture shows the character given of the Messiah that he should ride in on a donkey. It was in stark opposition to the pride of their warlike kings, the king that they wanted. You see, here Jesus is fulfilling prophecy to set an example of humility and to ultimately show his kingdom is not of this world. And the people seem to get it, but they really don't get it. What we thought could save us, what they thought could save them, earthly power, political revolution, couldn't. It's the mistake that just about everyone who encountered Jesus on earth made of him. Even those who were closest with him. And this picture here of Palm Sunday, uh, it's very pointedly demonstrating in the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The mistake that the people are making. Yes, they worshipped him, and they heralded him, and they waved the branches, but they didn't know just how he would come to rule in their lives. Not with a golden crown, but hung on a Gentile cross. And you know what? The tragedy, one writer said this, the tragedy of this event was the fickleness of the people. At this point, they're acclaiming the Lord Jesus as the long-expected Messiah, and within a few days, they're going to cry out for his death. So here we are, on the edge of another holy week, in the calendar of our faith as believers in Jesus. Here we are. And we're celebrating Palm Sunday as we've done year after year after year after year. But I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss the full breadth of this story. Because yes, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday is certainly the highlight of the church season. At least it should be if we're in Jesus. But there's this awkward, as one author put it, there's this awkward pre-party on Palm Sunday. Right? And so when we move towards Easter, we go through the season of Lent. 
And Lent is this time of repentance and searching and seeking and stripping things out of our lives so that we can fill our lives with more of him, so that we can draw deeper from the well of Emmanuel's veins, so that we can find life to the fullest in Jesus. And so Lent moves us towards Easter, and so we can't, we can't move there too quickly. Just like when we celebrate Christmas, Advent builds our anticipation for the arrival of our Savior. Now we know he's come, but our anticipation is building because he's coming again. And so, so we can't move too quickly to get to Easter Sunday and miss this awkward, this awkward party on Palm Sunday. Yes, we, we get excited and we sing Hosanna because we live on this side of the cross. And we often wave palm branches or maybe some of you are like me and you remember as a child, Palm Sunday, you know, marching through the auditorium waving your palm branch proudly or maybe shyly. Yeah, Jesus. You know, some of you remember that. Some of you are like, what, where, where did you grow up? But you, you remember those things. But as I said, we're missing something important about this story in the midst of our pre-Easter celebration. Let's celebrate. We're going to celebrate next week. We ought to celebrate but I think our perspective about Palm Sunday is wrong. You see, the story of Palm Sunday, as it sits at the beginning of what we call Passion Week, and as it sits in Matthew chapter uh, 21, right at the end of these two, these two stories about seeing the truth about uh, Palm Sunday, it's really about spiritual blindness. The people were spiritually blind to what God was doing in their midst. And I don't want us to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. Because of what your eyes can see around you in the world, I don't want you to miss what God's doing in your midst. Can you see today? What's your perspective? What's your perspective on this story? What's your perspective on Jesus Listen to me. Perspective cannot change the truth, but the truth can change your perspective. Perspective cannot change the truth. Truth is objective. It's not subjective to how you feel, okay? Our culture says the opposite. Truth is objective, so perspective cannot change the truth, but the truth can change your perspective. And so, so perhaps, perhaps you need new eyes today, a new way of seeing the story. Stay with me. The whole Palm Sunday celebratory, and listen, I'm not knocking it, just stay with me. The whole Palm Sunday celebratory welcome was and can often still be a glaring misunderstanding of what Jesus really came to do. Because it's, it's here, there's Palm Sunday, and then there's Easter Sunday, and there's some stuff that happens in between. There's Good Friday that's coming. There's a cross in a few days. And I acknowledge that the people in the story, the, the crowds didn't completely get it wrong. I mean, they partially interpreted the fulfillment of the prophecy correctly as Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. Many of them would have had Zechariah in their context and they would have seen Jesus coming in. But the problem was they were seeing with their physical eyes and they were spiritually blind. 
to what God was wanting to do in their midst. The crowd was spiritually blind on that first Palm Sunday. So can you see today? Do you see Jesus rightly? The crowd, as well as Jesus' disciples, believed Jesus, they believed that he would be their militant hero, that Jesus was coming to lead a rebellion against the Roman rule and oppression of Israel, that he would restore Israel to glory and power. At least that's what they wanted him to do. That's how they desire things to be made new. Oh, he came to make things new. But they just didn't see what kind of new he was working in their midst. So in the midst of all this joyous Palm Sunday celebration, as Jesus enters into the city, we often miss what's really going on with Jesus, right? Because like the people, their eyes were turned inward. They were worshiping because they wanted what they wanted. And we miss what's happening with Jesus when we pull this story um, out of its context, when we just read these 11 verses and we say, this is Palm Sunday, let's wave our branches and sing Hosanna. We miss what's going on with Jesus because the word of God tells us in Luke's account, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he weeps over the city. And this is a tender day as a church family. Jesus approaches Jerusalem and he weeps. Our Savior weeping is in stark contrast to the shouts of joy and praise that are coming from the people. He mourns. He weeps over their spiritual blindness, their misunderstanding of who he really is. Because he sees what's unseen, and the crowd only has eyes to see what's temporary. Let me show you. Luke 19 and verse 41 says this. As he approached Jerusalem, this is Jesus, and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They'll dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They'll not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So I ask you again today, do you see Jesus rightly today? Jesus approaches Jerusalem and the people are throwing a party and he's weeping. He weeps because their hearts are turned inward. He weeps because they don't truly know him or why he's come. He weeps over what sin has done to the hearts of his people. He weeps because God's peace, God's shalom, that's his perfect peace, is not found in fighting for our rights, but in laying the rights to ourselves down. He weeps because they don't recognize him as God. He is God in the flesh who's entered into humanity in which he's created so that we might know him and be known by him. This is radically new, and they miss it. The new rules of this kingdom have been established by a relational God. 
He made you and I, listen, brothers and sisters, he made you and I for relationship with him and with other believers. He made us relational because he's relational. But they didn't want a relationship. They just wanted him to rule over their enemies. Pastor Paul Wallace, he says this, he said, he came in peace to give the people peace, but they preferred salvation from taxation to salvation of their souls. And so in a few days, they would prefer Barabbas to be freed instead of Jesus. Jesus has arrived, we're moving towards Good Friday. Jesus could see that this was their mindset. And so in the midst of their praise with people waving the palm branches like a national flag, Jesus wept. This messed me up this week. You often get this picture, and and maybe this is just from our Sunday school lessons, and there's nothing knocking those, but we get this picture of Jesus side-saddled on a donkey, and he's riding in, and he's got a big smile on his face, maybe giving some waves and a couple winks. I see you. But according to the word of God, as, as the people praise him, he's weeping, his tears probably still falling from his face because they don't know him. They're giving him lip service, but they don't want to give him their life. And the crowds around, those who don't even know who this Jesus is, they wanted to know who he was, what this commotion was about, because they ached. They ached for a Messiah to come and be king over them. But they desperately wanted God to show himself through a savior who would overthrow the Romans and return Israel to her former glory. They wanted a God who would show up on their terms in their way for their purpose. So I ask you today, brothers and sisters, are you looking to Jesus to help you overthrow your earthly enemies so that all of your plans might prosper? Do you see Jesus as just sort of your homeboy who wants the best for you no matter what it is you want? Do you really desire for Jesus to be the king of your life? Or is that more of a romantic ideal that you hold than an intimate relationship that you have? Let's be honest today. Are you still worshiping Jesus like those who worshiped him that first Palm Sunday? Welcoming him gladly with the belief that he'll give you uh, what you want for your own benefit only perhaps to stiff arm him when your plans don't play out as you knew they should? Or do you see him and know him intimately today? I'm not talking about the Jesus of religion. I'm talking about the Jesus that wants a relationship with you. The king of this new kingdom is unlike the kings of the kingdoms of this world. He does not seek his own benefit. This king is abundantly merciful. This king opened blind eyes. He touched those who were deemed unclean and outcast. This king forgave sin. He's the only one that can give you new life and purpose. This king is the healer, defender, comforter, redeemer, savior, and Lord. This king Jesus is simply the way that God has saved and rebirthed and transformed those who will put their faith in him. He's not the king that the people wanted. He was much more than they could ever imagine. 
and it's clear. It's clear from the triumphal entry to the cross that the rules are different now. The rules of this kingdom are much different. And the bottom line today is this. It's on the screen. What we think will save us can't. What we never imagined could will. What we think, what the people thought could save them could never save them. But what they never imagined could ultimately did. And the same is true for you and me today. I'm going to invite Pastor Joe to come back up. This is Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. Pastor Adrian shared this text from Revelation 21, 1 through 5. It's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Because on a tender day like this, not just a tender day for our church family because we've lost someone we love, but on a tender day in the big view of what God is doing in our midst as we look at Palm Sunday and the tragedy that Palm Sunday was. This passage from Revelation gives me hope. 21 verses 1 through 5, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is our hope. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, hallelujah, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true you see the one seated on the throne ultimately went to the cross willingly for you and me to destroy the powers of sin and death so that we might be made new and so here we are We're entering into Passion Week. We're moving towards the cross. And I shared this with the men at retreat. Many people throughout history, before Jesus and since, have been arrested and beaten and slain for their faith. That didn't make Jesus any different. But only Jesus, only Jesus, the one who wept as he entered into the city, only he, had experienced, has experienced being made sin and a curse for all mankind. He became your sin. He took it on in his body. You know, the word of God reminds us that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But do you know why that's true? It's because when Jesus, in a few days from today, when he hung on the cross, The father would forsake his son so you would never be forsaken. Where have you heard a story about the hero dying for the villains? The good news, friends, is more marvelous than we can fathom. And I don't want you to miss it today. So do you see... Do you see with spiritual eyes today what God is doing in your midst, what he desires to do in you and through your life? 
if you'll lay it down. Listen, the reality of this story, the reality of this story is worth altering your whole life around. Or it's not worth much at all. Or it's not worth much at all. And he is certainly, today and every day after, worthy of our worship, all of our worship. We shout Hosanna. He's worthy of all our worship, not just our lofty lip service. In the triumphal entry, we see our great king, not taken in the world by might, but by mercy. The lowly king on a donkey that was promised from days of old, he came to carry the cross that would change everything. The cross that would make everything new especially you. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.